So let's take some time to look at the history of Calvary Chapel. And as God often does when he's going to begin something new, with Calvary Chapel, you really need to look to one man that God raised up as the, the leader and as the pioneer, you might say, of Calvary Chapel. And that is Pastor Chuck Smith. You maybe have heard of him before. Maybe you have not. That's just fine. He has, or he had when he was with us, a very wide-ranging radio ministry, which is still active, but obviously he's with the Lord now, so perhaps he is less known. But even before Pastor Chuck was born, the story, which is incredible, and you can read about all of this in his autobiography, which is short and very good, when his sister, Virginia, had spinal meningitis as a little girl and was having seizures and was having all kinds of issues with that. She went into critical condition. She had a major seizure. His mother rushed her to the church next door rather than going to the hospital. <laughs> she rushed her to the church and asked the pastor to pray for her. The family had not been especially religious and especially his father had not been faithful at this point. But his mother promised, if you will save my little girl, Lord, I will commit the child that is not born yet to you forever. And at this point, the father came in and saw what was going on. He prayed a very similar prayer. Lord, if you save my little girl, my life is yours. And she was healed in that moment in the church of the spinal meningitis. So remarkable, powerful story. And those people made good on that promise to the Lord. They, from that day forward, were very faithful, church-going, God-fearing people. And as Chuck grew up, he heeded the call in his life. He intended to be a doctor initially. His mother and father never pushed him to be a pastor, as his story goes, but God called him. And so when he came home and announced, I'm not going to be going to medical school, I'm going to be going to Bible college, his parents were ready for that decision because they knew what the Lord was going to do. He grew up in a four-square church house, which is still active in, in some areas, but you don't hear as much about it maybe as you did back then. And he attended their Bible college, Life Bible College, which is where he met his wife, Kay, Kay Smith, who has, has plenty of good stories on her own, which we'll get to in just a minute. But I do have to go quickly to get through all of this. And he became a pastor at a very young age. And what is remarkable about Pastor Chuck, especially what God would do through him later, is how unremarkable his early ministry was. You read his story and there was nothing particularly earth shattering about it. He would go to a church. He would stay there for a number of years. There'd be ups, there'd be downs. He would move on to the next one. Very, very common story. He pastored in California and Arizona, Tucson, Huntington Beach, places like that. And the way he tells the story is when he was in Huntington Beach, California, he loved it there. He loved the congregation, but he only had two years worth of sermons to preach. And so in the structure that they had, when you were ready to move on, you would just ring up the denomination and they'd move you on. And so he had moved on more or less every two years, liked it in Huntington Beach, wanted to stay. And it was while he was studying a book by Griffith Thomas about 1 John, he came across expository outlines in the back, which outlined the whole book of 1 John. And he realized if I could teach this way, I could stay here an awful lot longer. So he would joke and he would laugh as he told the story because it wasn't a moment of grand spiritual revelation. He just wanted to stay where the surfing was good as a young pastor. But you know how the Lord works. He began to teach verse by verse through the book of 1 John. And as he did, the churches for the first time under his ministry began to grow. They began to prosper. And he did not initially make that connection. But he knew that he was beginning to gain a new respect for the word of God. 
So when he finished 1 John, he thought, well, I might as well move on to Romans next because Romans is, is one of the best books of the Bible. I better get into it. And as he studied the book of Romans, and it took him a number of years to get through it at the pace he was teaching, he tells the story of how he began to, for the first time, understand the grace of God. He had pastored and grown up in the Foursquare Church, and he, at this point of his story, explains that he had never fully been comfortable with the things he was asked to do there. There was a lot of guilting the people into coming forward and getting more decisions, and they would have contests with one another to see who would come to the Easter service, and it was all very, very carnal, and it was all about whipping people up to feel bad in order to get them to do what you wanted, but as he started to teach through the book of Romans, the Lord began to work something in him, which is, it's all about grace. It's not about beating people down. It's about loving people like Jesus did. And that teaching series that he did led to his eventual departure from the Foursquare Church. And so he began to continue to teach the Bible. He pastored a number of independent churches in Southern California. And eventually, he was invited to come and pastor at a little country church, as a famous song goes, in Costa Mesa, California. And that church was called Calvary Chapel. So he was not the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel. It was still very small when he was brought in and asked to preach there because he had gained a reputation as a verse-by-verse Bible teacher, and the church wanted that. So he took a major pay cut, moved from a very comfortable situation, which he'll tell you his wife Kay was not very happy about, but she prayed it through and the Lord told her, you need to submit to your husband. This is where we're going. But she, she would say that I did it, but I, but I wasn't very nice about it. I would learn that later. So what is so great about his story, and especially myself as a pastor reading his story, was he was not an overnight success. By the time he came to Calvary Chapel, he was in his 40s. And it wasn't until he was into, I believe, his early 50s that God really began to, as we would say, externally bless his ministry. He was just a practical, faithful servant of the Lord. Which I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to do it the best way I know how. And that's really what he did for his whole life. And we're going to move on from talking about him specifically now. But I cannot tell you, unless you've been around Calvary for a while, the regard and the esteem that these men have for Pastor Chuck. Because in the late 60s and into the 70s, as you know, that's when the hippie movement began to sweep the country, the counterculture. Young men and women were dropping out of school, and they were heading, of all places, to Southern California, where they were going to experiment with drugs. There was going to be new music that was played. There was sexual and spiritual experimentation with meditation and LSD and things like that. Total rebellion against the culture. Grow out your hair. Don't wear shoes. Make your own clothes. Don't shower. Stay as far away from that old nine-to-five job as you can. And they all started landing on Pastor Chuck's front yard, so to speak, in the beaches of Southern California. He said he would go out to the boardwalks and to the docks and to the beaches where he'd always been. And now you've got all of these strung-out kids, hippies, out there on the beaches. And initially, like most people, especially those in the church, they were very hard-hearted. said, these kids need to get a job, they need to cut their hair, they need to take a shower, and they need to start taking some responsibility for their lives. And, of course, Pastor Chuck was as traditional as you could get, suit and tie every Sunday, singing hymns out of the hymnal, right? That was the way it was done. It was a patriotic thing. They were protesting the Vietnam War. They were protesting... All all the other nonsense that was going on at the time. And Pastor Chuck was a very patriotic, all-American man. 
But it was his wife's heart for these kids that began to reach him as well. She would drive him out to the beach and they would just go to places like Newport Beach and Huntington Beach and just see these strung out, drug-addled kids, 19, 20, 21 years old, wandering around, long hair, dirty. And she would say, Jesus needs to reach these people. And they would sit in the car together and pray for the hippies. And she would weep and they would cry and pray, Lord, you've got to reach these kids. And so the Lord, as he sovereignly does, brought some Christian hippies into their lives, which were kids who had embraced the the long hair and the countercultural lifestyle, but had found Jesus along the way. So they still had the long hair and the beards and they still dressed funny and they still were spending all their time on the beaches, but they were beginning to reject all of the sexual promiscuity and the, the drug addiction and all the rest of it. And they were getting into Jesus, as they said. He met men like Lonnie Frisbee, who unfortunately had a very tragic spiritual end to his life, but God used him and some others in, in a mighty way. And they started inviting them into their house just to talk to them. Cheryl Broderson, who is Pastor Chuck's daughter, said, my mom used to always say, I got to talk to a hippie, because she was fascinated by seeing this, and she had a heart for the Lord to reach them. And so as they talked to these young kids, these men and these women that would come in, they began to realize that this was not so much a problem as it was a budding mission field right in front of their eyes. And so they began to minister to those that were brought into their house. Kids began to get saved. And Calvary Chapel became one of, if not the only church at this time that opened its doors to hippies. And that church deserves a lot of credit as well for being willing to open their doors to all these crazy looking kids. Now, we think today it's not such a big deal to be wearing jeans and flip-flops and a t-shirt. And you also got to remember this is Southern California. So it's the water, it's the beach, it's the sun. So guys are walking in without shoes and without shirts and long hair and they smell. And one of my favorite stories from this time is one of his elders, Pastor Chuck's elders, put up a sign on the door that said, shoes must be worn in the sanctuary. Because he said, we had just paid for this brand new carpet. It had been a whole church business thing. And I see these kids coming in with these filthy, nasty feet. And I thought they're going to ruin the carpet. And Pastor Chuck brought it to the next board meeting and ripped it up. He says, if it's that big a problem, we'll just rip up the carpet. (laughs) Because these kids need to be here. And Calvary Chapel gained a reputation as a church where hippies were welcome. And it absolutely exploded. They began to find their way to this little country church where they would hear the word of God preached, the gospel preached boldly, and by the thousands, these hippies began to get saved. The church outgrew its first building and then its next building, and then they had to move into a tent. So you'll hear often old school Calvary Chapel guys talk about the tent days. That was a circus tent that they put up because they were building a new facility, which wasn't ready yet, but they had outgrown their their smaller one. So where are we going to put them? I guess we'll get a tent. And that thing would fill up multiple times every Sunday with not just hippies now, but all kinds of people finding Jesus. And the emphasis, I mean, it's very familiar to you because it's what we do here. The emphasis was on the teaching of the word. These were not super trendy, hip messages aimed at the the young folks. This was the simple, straightforward teaching of God's word. It was an emphasis upon grace, which these kids were not finding anywhere else. Every other church, you want to come in here, you can cut your hair, you can put your shoes on, you can shape up, and then we'll talk about Jesus. The famous song, which I've already referenced a couple times by a band called Love Song, written about this time, says that looking past the hair and straight into the eyes. 
These are some hippies who had gotten saved. How much that meant to them. They were willing to talk to me and not look at all this. The grace of God for salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a major emphasis. The amount of miracle stories I could share with you from this time is, is incredible. And a love for Jesus Christ. This is the thing that always strikes me when I read these stories again. Is the love that they had for the person of Jesus not just for the institution of the church. They were anti-institution. They didn't want any more of that. But what they were finding was there was a man named Christ Jesus who loves me and died for me. And the love just poured out. Thousands and thousands weekly would be baptized at the beaches in California. And what Time Magazine would call the Jesus Movement. They would go down to the beaches and out in the tide they would baptize thousands and thousands of young men and women. It's called the Jesus Movement. Bands began to come into the church. This is the remarkable thing. Calvary Chapel is largely, if not single-handedly, responsible for contemporary Christian worship music. Because all these kids that were out on the beach playing the Beatles, playing the Stones, playing Bob Dylan on their acoustic guitars, got saved and continued to write songs, except now they're writing songs about Jesus. Now they're writing songs about grace. They're writing songs about the Bible. And so many, even the songs we sing here, sometimes come out of that very time. There was a band, as I already said, called Love Song. Chuck Gerard and some of those guys that you listen to them and it, man, it sounds like the Beatles or it sounds like Credence Clearwater Revival or something, but they're singing songs about Jesus. And they began to play at the church. Every Saturday night, they started having Christian concerts for the first time. This was unheard of. There are folks today that still don't like that. But what was happening is all these kids would come in to hear the music and they're not singing about dope and transcendental meditation and LSD. Now they're singing about how I found the answer. It was a generation of seekers and now you've got a generation of kids saying we found what we were looking for. And they would hear the gospel preached and they would get saved at those Saturday night worship meetings. And that's where contemporary Christian music was born. And now while this movement was not limited to Calvary Chapel, there were several other manifestations of this. It certainly was the epicenter of a lot of things. And there's t way too many radical testimonies for me to share at one time, but I'll still give you a few. I'll give you some of, the, some of the best of these young kids that got saved in radical, transforming ways. The famous one is Mike McIntosh, who is now a pastor in San Diego, Horizon Christian Fellowship. I believe he's been an advisor to the president a couple times. Let me tell you his story. Mike McIntosh was a Young kid, teenager, who, like so many, dropped out of school, went out on the beaches doing drugs. And one, at one time in his life, he had a bad trip when he was on acid, I believe it was, where he believed that somebody had shot the side of his head off. And he says, I was walking around convinced that half of my head was missing. I was out of my mind. He said he was hearing voices. There's obviously some demonic things going on here. Completely out of his mind. He went to, I believe, one of those concerts, and his friends brought him forward and said, this is our buddy, and we don't know what's wrong with him, but he, he, he would tell him, my head is missing. And they couldn't tell him, no, your head is right there. He was totally convinced. And all they did is lay hands on him and pray for him in Jesus' name. That was healed in an instant. He never heard another voice in his life. He was saved that night, and he just attached himself to Pastor Chuck and saying, I want you to teach me everything you know. But the Lord's used him in an incredible way. Raul Reese, different kind of guy. He was a soldier in Vietnam. And he had a very, very hard time there. He had had a rough time growing up. The judge, as a kid, told him, you can go to jail or you can sign up and go to Vietnam. And he chose to go to Vietnam. He was a violent man. He was brought back, not, not honorably. Gets married. 
has a couple kids, but all that anger and all that rage and the PTSD that he was unable to deal with turned him into an incredibly violent man. He forbade his wife, who had found Jesus, from going to church with the kids. One day he comes home and finds out she had gone, and he'll tell you the story. He got his shotgun out, started smashing up the whole house, and says, as soon as she gets home, I'm going to kill my wife, I'm going to kill my kids, and then I'm going to kill myself. And that's going to be the end of it. So while he's sitting there with a shotgun waiting for her to come home, he turns on the television and he sees Pastor Chuck on the TV talking about Jesus. Get saved watching the TV. And from that moment forward, he served Jesus Christ. He's a pastor out in Golden Springs, California. He's an incredible missions organization. He's got a powerful ministry to former veterans who are dealing with this kind of stuff. He was a murderer that the Lord totally transformed. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie grew up in a house with his mother who was married and divorced seven times while he was growing up. She was an alcoholic. She was neglectful. So he left home very, very young and he became drugs, alcohol, the same whole story until he was invited to church because he thought there's a hippie church. I'm going to go check out the hippie church. He heard the preaching of the gospel and gave his life to Jesus. And my favorite story from Greg Laurie is he was told, you've got to share your faith. You've got to go and evangelize people because this is what Christians are supposed to do. So he says, I was scared to death. I went to the beach with my little tract in my hand and I stopped this lady and I said, ma'am, can I talk to you about something? And he says, I read it like this, right up on my face. And I read every line of this tract and came to the end and said, now, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the lady goes, yes, I would. And he led this woman to the Lord right there on the beach and he became a radical evangelist. He would go to the water fountains at the beach and people would come up to get water and he'd say, you know, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that Jesus will give you, you'll never thirst again. And he's now been responsible for the Harvest Crusades. He's preached the gospel to millions of people around the world. He's sort of picked up where Billy Graham has left off in a lot of ways. And he's a pastor out in Riverside, California. Pastor Chuck had a very strong emphasis on discipleship and training these men. He duplicated what he did. He taught them how to study the word, how to minister effectively. He taught them to evangelize, and so that's exactly what they did. These guys went out all over America and later the world duplicating what they saw in California what they had seen out in Costa Mesa. This was never a formal thing. There was no official structure. Pastor Chuck never said, you're going to go here, you're going to go there. Joe Foch, who is the Calvary Chapel pastor in Philadelphia, talks about he went up to Pastor Chuck and he was getting ready to leave and said, Pastor Chuck, I'm going to go plant a church in Philadelphia. Would you pray for me? He says, Chuck said, yeah, of course. God bless Joe. That was all he gave him. And he went away and said, what, that's it? And, And out he went. And that's sort of the... The uh, idea behind a lot of church planning in Calvary Chapel is just go and do it. God will bless it, just like Paul. And so as they did that, they became connected and affiliated with Calvary Costa Mesa, of course. And this is why, we'll get into this more later, Calvary Chapel is not a denomination in the strict definition. Meaning there is no central authority that owns all the property, that makes decisions over who's going to pastor where, and uh, has to approve anything that we do. Each church is independent but we are an association of churches. So there is voluntary submission involved here. So just as, as these guys went out and, but still trusted Pastor Chuck as their pastor and as their leader, that's how we all operate as well. So w- everything we're doing here is, it's all on us, but we have a family and we have a connected group that we're a part of. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. We hold to a shared doctrinal statement and a shared ministry philosophy. But other than that, it's, you're on your own, my friend but not really because you got Jesus with you, right? 
well, that's Pastor Chuck. That's the Jesus movement. Let's, let's bring it down to, to our life. And in order to do that, I've got to tell a bit of my own story to get us here. My grandfather and his family was living in Texas years later. This was, was 80s, if I'm not mistaken, the mid-80s. And he began to take his walk with the Lord very seriously. He began to look for the right church that is going to teach the Bible well and is going to do this thing right. And he began to hear Pastor Chuck Smith on the radio. And the more he listened to the Word for Today, which is the name of the program, he realized, this is where I need to be, and this is where my kids need to be. Because he knew my father, who was, I believe, a senior in high school at the time, wanted to be a pastor. So packed up the family, left Euless, Texas, and went out to Costa Mesa, California. My parents, my mother and father, met there in the youth ministry They became missionaries to Australia for a few years. They went uh, to Vista, California, were on staff, or he was on staff there as an assistant pastor. And in 1994, they left California, like so many did, and they planted a Calvary Chapel in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is where I grew up. They planted it in 1994, which is where I grew up. I watched the church grow. I served there. I kind of grew up in that church. By that, I mean I was in the building all the time. (laughs) And eventually, I I attended Liberty University, which is in Lynchburg, Virginia. And while I was there, I've told you this story before, but God began to speak to me. I was an engineering major, and I did not want to do that. Not because I was lazy, not because I was doing poorly, but I I had a hard time seeing the long-term purpose of anything. You know, that maybe is just young angst, I don't know, but God certainly used it. And it was in Matthew chapter 9 where the Lord said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the harvest. And I said, Lord, I don't want to pray for laborers. I want to be a laborer. And so the Lord got hold of me that way. I was already saved. I'd never really even had a rebellious time in my life, so to speak. But the Lord moved my life in a different direction. God calls all of us to do something. But for some of us, he taps us on the shoulder and he says, I'm going to use you full time. And that's what the Lord did with me. So I came on staff at the church there after a while. I worked there for eight years I started out as the radio DJ for our radio program for Equip FM. I started doing grounds and maintenance. I was the worship leader there. I did missions. I did counseling. I did a little bit of everything. Received a lot of great training. Ended up getting my Master's of Divinity there. And then in 2017, by this time I was married, had a couple of kids. I knew it was time to move on. We had known for a while that God was going to use us to plant a church somewhere, and we knew that it was time to go. And... We knew we wanted to stay in the South, because why would you leave? And uh, we wanted to see where are some parts of the South where there are not so many Calvary chapels. And Alabama was at the top of that list. And Sandy Adams, who is the pastor in Stone Mountain, Georgia, he put me in touch with a fellow named Steve Holloman. And he said, I, I know Steve. He's a good guy. Why don't you go talk to him, and, and he'll, maybe he can help you out. And I met with Steve at Mama Goldberg's. <laughs> And we talked, and he was just as excited as can be. He said, I've been praying for this. I've been waiting for this. And I've got a group of people that will be part of this. And so I said, well, how about I come back next month, and we'll, we'll talk about it. I'll meet those guys, and we'll do that. And some of y'all were in that meeting when I came back a month later. And that was the only place I looked. I had other places on the list to go check out. But as I said, when the door is open, there's no need to go try to find another one. See if there's a more open door than the open door you have. And so the Lord brought together a small group who were interested. A lot of friends from back home who said, we want to go with you. We want to be part of what's going on. So in August 2018, my family moved down here and we began immediately. So on September 2nd, 2018, 
when we had our first service. That was in the Hilton Garden Inn in Trussville. Not glamorous, but it was wonderful. I'll never forget, there was one, it was very early on, it was one of our services where it was Zach and myself and Sarah and Catelyn were watching the kids in the kids' room across the hall. Zach Borders was greeting people at the, at the front. I had the guitar in my hands, and Zach Graffin was at the computer, and nobody was there. <laughs> and it was time to go, so we said, well, let's, let's just start. And we did, and people came in. They were just late, because you all know how you are. But, <laughs> but I'll never forget that. And I said, Zach, we got to remember this, because this is the beginning of what God is going to do. It's not the end. And it was around Thanksgiving 2019, we moved into this facility right here. And then a few things happened in 2020, which are, you know, not really important to the story, but, <laughs> but the church continued to grow. And we're still here. And we're still growing strong. We're still preaching the word verse by verse. We still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're still desperate to see God reach this generation. We're still part of the story of Calvary Chapel which is, of course, itself a part of the story of what God's been doing since the book of Acts. Now, folks down here don't really know that story. You go out to California, as I've kind of said a lot, Calvary Chapels are like Starbucks out there. <laughs> They're everywhere. Everybody knows Calvary Chapel. But to come down here, nobody really knows what that is. A lot of you all have said, oh, so there are others. Yeah, there are. That's why it's good to tell the story. Also because the Internet is full of people that want to tell you all kinds of crazy things about anything that is good and wholesome, you're going to find the worst possible interpretation. And there's bitter people and there's folks that dislike things about us, none of which have anything to do with Jesus. It's just preference. And then also there's diff different things that people think, oh, so you're all about that, right? Some, some Calvary Chapel pastor is in the news for something political. And so, oh, this must be a real political church. Well, not really. The Lord called that man in that moment to take that stand, but that's not usually our thing. We're just focused on the word of God and Jesus Christ. So it's good for us to tell the story. But here's the most important thing. My father gave me this advice when I came down here to do this. And I was at a pastor's summit and they went around and every pastor there gave me one piece of advice before I went and planted the church. And his was, folks, they're, they're not going to know what Calvary Chapel is, maybe. They're only going to know you. And that's an important thing for us here. This is not about us trying to look back and say, let's do that again. We ourselves are Calvary Chapel. We are Calvary Chapel Trustville. This church that we are here, that we are here, this is what God is doing with us. It's our story. And our story is not going to look just like anybody else's story. And our story is still being told. And we look back, and I love looking back. I love all kinds of radical stories of what God has done in the past, whether they're my tribe, as I said before, or whether it's another. But the most important thing is for us to look forward because God's not done with us yet. And there's all sorts of silly things we could do. You know, Calvary Chapels have a, have a little inside joke that we have where at the conferences, all the pastors would wear Hawaiian shirts because they were all from Hawaii, California, and out that way. And so sometimes a pastor will come to speak out here at the Georgia conference or South Carolina and like, y'all aren't wearing the uniform, right? Because you're not wearing the Hawaiian shirts. Like, well, we don't wear those out here very much. <laughs> That, that's silly, right? And it's a silly example, but it's, it's a good point to make that we're not trying to say we got to be just like this and do it just this way. What makes us who we are is teaching through the word, relying on the spirit, trusting Jesus Christ, and a major heart for missions and evangelism. And how that looks is less important. It's going to look like us because God's not done with us yet.
And in a few years, we're probably going to have to update this and say there's more that God has done and there's more that he's going to continue to do. I believe that the Lord is going to continue to use this fellowship, this church here. I believe the Lord is going to raise us up to be a voice that people can look to and an example that people can follow. I know, because I'm not going to let it happen otherwise, that the Lord is going to use us to plant other Calvary chapels, other solid Bible-teaching, Holy Spirit-reliant, grace-filled churches, whether that's around the world or right in our backyard. Because we're relying on the same Lord that not only led Chuck Smith and those folks back in the, the 70s, but the same Lord that poured out His Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He's still at work.